Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, yeah! Yes, 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 yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest-running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who would gladly accept less money in exchange for being able to stay recording in front of all of our happy listeners. Does that make sense? I don't know. I'm trying to make a reference to Goudreau and how he took less money because he would rather be in Columbus, but I don't know. I sort of making that up on the fly. Anyways, I'm your host, Elodie Brosk. We don't have time to dig into the intro because we've got so much to talk about today, so much so that this is part one of I don't know how many parts, maybe a thousand parts, but we're going to just go through as much as we can over the next couple of hours and with me to break down all of the signings and the trades and all the craziness from last week. It's my very good friend, the Poopop Prognostication, the IVP MVP. Your friend and mine, the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us after what was a wild free agency period, which I was following along closely on our Discord server. Like, I was kind of offline for the day. But the one thing I was able to do pretty regularly to know where I could get the news. Actually, it was thanks to the Game Day news. Like, that's amazing. GameDayTweets.com, if you're not familiar. If you just, if you just want the news... That's such a great place to go. If you just have a second to check your phone, uh, that's the place for you to go or our Discord server where we follow along to. Anyway, there's so much to talk about. I've tried to save some thoughts for the show. Uh, I'll be repeating some for sure that I've already shared, but I'm really excited. I've got a whole backlog of thoughts and ideas on the fantasy impacts of all the player movement we saw through free agency. I'm ready to let them out. Yeah, and you know, this is, I think, a rare podcast, right? Like, obviously, there's been lots of different people talking about everything going on, but we're looking into the fantasy impact, who's gone up, who's gone down, who's affected by everything going on. So I think this is going to be really interesting to go through. Obviously, the order is very arbitrary. I'm going to start with what I think is the most impactful move. And then from there, I'm going to try to, like, tie everything together. I'm putting my hosting skills to the challenge, okay, to see if I could, like, make sort of a narrative through everything that went on. I want to start... Actually, first, let's start by mentioning that we're presented by DauberHockey.com, which was also, Brian, a really great place that I was going to check out a lot. I guess it's not as much like for the breaking news, but for the breakdowns right after the breaking news. They're always on top of it uh, with, you know, the transaction impacts of everything going on, like with the daily ramblings and just the articles. It's the best site. Okay. And also, I use Frozen Tools to prep the show, so it's the best. DauberHockey.com. But with that, Brian, let's start... Let's start in Columbus. Okay, we got it. It was the marquee UFA of this crop, Johnny Goudreau, coming off a career year, 40 goals, 115 points, has decided to take his talents to Columbus on a seven-year, 9.75 AAV deal, even though Calgary offered more money and term. But he was like, I don't know about living in Canada. And yeah, you do you, Johnny. And now he's going to be in Columbus for like the remainder of his prime. Obviously, it was perfect timing for him to have this amazing season. Like he had two straight like 70-ish point pace seasons leading into this past one, but he saved his best for the contract campaign, cashed in big time. So now Gaudreau goes from his insanely successful line with Lindholm and Kachuk to, I'd assume, like a best case, uh, you know, with Patrick Laine 
I guess, like that, which is uh, pretty great, right? Being able to play with Lainey. And then the first center, who knows? I don't know, Roslovic, Boone Jenner, Cole Sillinger. Someone's going to be there to center Goudreau and Lainey. I don't know. It could also be like Bjorkstrand and Lainey goes to another line. Like, obviously, I'm just trying to think of like sort of what's the impact. Is it better or worse? He does get a similarly paid Zach Wierenski as his top power play quarterback, which I think does sa- sound like an upgrade to me, like over like Rasmus Anderson, you know, never really like blew our socks off over in Calgary. So that's kind of nice. I guess what you can kind of get what I'm trying to figure out here is like is Gaudreau like does his fantasy value go up does it go down does it stay the same so I'm just kind of like thinking up through like who are the players that he's replacing and who he's replacing them with uh in the end Brian what do you think this means for Gaudreau like we did our patron rankings we've been doing it for a while now every single day we vote on someone else already Gaudreau has been ranked of course he went 26th overall do you think that if we were to restart now you'd be voting for him to like hold that same spot around 26th or does he go up or or does he fall a bit going from Calgary to Columbus? So just for context, 26 means that he went uh, just behind Jack Hughes and Steven Stamkos. And Gaudreau went ahead of, of the other forwards he went ahead of were Eichel, Zabanejad, JT Miller, Sebastian Ajo, Timo Meyer, Brad Marchand, Drayson Robinson. I- I'm reading this list and going as far down as I am. Landeskog, Debrinkit, Philip Forsberg. Because I'm trying to find the place where I would stop and say, yeah, I'd want Gaudreau ahead of that guy now. Because he has fallen on my draft list because of this move to Columbus. And this is not just a simplistic Columbus plays a more defensive game take or they don't have as much, they're not as offensive a team as Calgary was, which is true. But that's been like the really easy thing to say about Columbus for the last couple of years. It's like, yeah, you go to Columbus, you're not going to be the most offensive player, which is true to some extent. But I don't think it's quite as simple as that, because not only is Johnny Gaudreau going to Columbus, but he's leaving a lot behind in Calgary. What he's leaving behind, if you remember when we talked about Gaudreau for our surprise party episode, uh, I think he was on the second part of it where we were just elated to see Gaudreau explode for the 115 points he had in his age 28 season. And that was after, uh, like, a lot of inconsistency, right? Like, it seemed like Gaudreau had never done the same thing for two consecutive years. And after the season Gaudreau had in Calgary, we looked at him and like, yeah, I think he could do this again, assuming he's in the same place, which now he's not. So I want to sort of dig into, you know, the reasons we said that he was successful in Calgary. I want to dig into those and see if they're going to be present in Columbus. So one reason that Gaudreau was so successful in Calgary was that ridiculously good top line, one of the best lines in the league last season, Gaudreau, uh, Kachuk, and Lindholm. And I don't think he has uh, line mates in Columbus who are going to be as good as either of those guys. I think he's downgrading both his pieces, like is a centerman, uh, Boone Jenner, Cole Sillinger, perhaps. And like, you know, we saw, I'm bringing this up because in Calgary, when he was playing with Sean Monaghan, it went really well that one year. It didn't go so well the others that followed it. And I'd like to think that Jenner and Sillinger are, are better than Monaghan, but we saw the difference that a, a really top tier first line center, how much that could elevate Gaudreau's game. And Elon, I know how strongly you feel about Boone Jenner, but I'm just not sure 
he's as good a top line center as Elias Lindholm was for Johnny Gaudreau. So that's, yeah, that, that's such a hot take. Like, I'll agree with that. But Patrick Laine is really good. Maybe okay. he could be similar to Matthew Kachuk. I don't know. All right. Well, here's the other piece I'll, I'll give you is that for Laine, is he going to play with Laine? Because uh, if you remember last season when the Blue Jackets had Laine, they went in and got Voracek too. And it's like, yeah, Columbus plans for many happy years with these two paired together. Voracek's the feeder. Liney's the converter. So does that mean that Gaudreau actually isn't playing with either one of them and is playing on another line with, I don't know, Nyquist, Bjorkstrand, someone else? Um, so the thought that maybe Gaudreau isn't on a number one line, but instead of 1A or 1B line? Also, a little concerning. And speaking further to the quality of teammate that we can expect for Gaudreau and Columbus, like last year, Johnny Gaudreau did as well as he did thanks to an on-ice shooting percentage of 5-on-5 that was above 13%, which we'd often say is unsustainable. But that line was clicking so freaking well uh, and in an elite way that, yeah, elite lines and players can keep up a higher-than-usual on-ice shooting percentage. For context, the top on-ice shooting percentage in Columbus belonged to Max Domi at just 11%, and Nyquist and Liney were the only others above 10% uh, on ice shooting at 5-on-5. Five five. So again, Gaudreau's a guy who is a pass-first player. Uh, he's going to need a lot of converting happening around him to succeed, and I just don't see that happening. Like He had 40 goals last year, of course, but the two years before that, uh, he paced for 25 20 goals like that that, he's sort of in the 25 goal area so you really want him to be able to play with guys he can set up i'd love for bjorkstrand to be that person but again who's the center so a lot of questions about deployment and then i'll also toss in the other question i have about how well it will sustain in the transition from calgary to columbus is gaudreau's power play production he had huge power play production last season six power play goals 25 power play points uh and looking at gaudreau's role I took a look and yeah, he played mostly on the left side. Well, guess who plays on the left side of the unit in Columbus? It's Patrick Liney. So is, is he going to displace Patrick Liney? That's where Gaudreau sort of roamed and would feed, uh, you know, like Gaudreau was a huge shooter with Kachuk and he'd either feed Kachuk or Lindholm or take a shot and then they'd, you know, work on the rebound in Columbus. You have Liney on the left side where Gaudreau roamed in Calgary. And Liney was the only shooter. Like the next most was Wierenski. And he wasn't shooting anywhere near where um, Gaudreau and Kachuk were. So maybe there is room to add a second shooter on that Columbus power play in Gaudreau. I just don't know where those shots are going to come from. Um, and, you know, Boone Jenner would be sort of the Elias Lindholm comparable. So I guess my question is, is Columbus, you know, with this big marquee acquisition, are they going to change their power play to accommodate Gaudreau and help him put up another 25 power play points? Because I think they're going to have to, uh, to be able to get the most out of him with the man advantage or for him to keep doing what he did last year. Calgary also had a better power play overall than Columbus last year. So that's another sort of red flag. So overall, I mean, I'm sure you get the gist of this. Uh, Columbus ain't Calgary. And like, it wasn't just Calgary. It was that one line, which is now gone. And Goudreau, you know, this isn't like, I'm trying to think of another player like Panarin, who, you know, did the, he came to Columbus and was great. No matter who he played with, he left Columbus, he did even better. 
I'm not sure Gaudreau can do things the way Panarin does. I don't think he can drive the line himself. I think he's going to need a couple helping hands to get up and above 70 points. And I'm concerned that they're not going to be there and nor will that power play role that he was able to play to perfection last year. So yeah, I'm worried about Johnny Gaudreau and I would bump him uh, a fair number of places down our patron rankings draft board. Yeah, it's all fair. Like, honestly, like, obviously, I'm coming in trying to be excited, be the one that's the positive guy that lets you pour the bucket of water. Like, I would say, if I want to say counterpoints to what you're saying, you're like, you know, Columbus isn't as good as Calgary, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, well, that was Calgary with Johnny Gaudreau. And that was Columbus without Johnny Gaudreau. So like, all of a sudden, now we're shifting maybe the best offensive player from one team to the other. So we'll have to see what that impact is. But I do agree with you that it is something to be concerned about. And you know me also, I get a little wary of a player on a new team, who knows if maybe he won't jump like as amazingly right away so yeah i don't think i'm going to be projecting him at 115 points i'd love for him to do better than like the 70 ish that he was doing the years before like maybe he can be point per game somewhere around there like if you look at panarin in columbus he was like what like a 90 ish point player which would still be great but also a step down from what Kajo did last year so i think that's kind of the ceiling of what i'd be expecting at least for now and i just think that's a little high to expect from Gaudreau. like i said i don't think he's quite panarin and I, I think, uh, I, I don't even know if he'll have Panarin's deployment. If, I mean, we'll have to see how Columbus... Yeah, I was saying ceiling. Oh. You know, Brian, I'm trying to say what, okay, what's the most ceiling. I'm expecting. Sure. Yeah, But I think reasonably, Goudreau had 70-point paces in the two seasons before this last explosion. And those two 70-point seasons followed his last explosion before that one. Honestly, that's about where I'm expecting him to land this year. It'd be great if he could approach point per game. And upside is there for a little bit above a point per game. But yeah, I'd be thinking of him as a in the 75 point range. Right. So basically, you're saying you're not drafting him because obviously someone is going to be expecting him to be at least know. somewhat similar to I last actually, year. Definitely. I th- well, I, we'll see. I mean, he'll definitely go earlier than last year because last year he was a 70 point player. I think that there's going to be, it depends on who you're drafting against, right? There's going to be a, enough people who are just turned off by the fact that he went to but Columbus come on. to just leave yeah. them. <laughs> but you're saying that you're expecting him to be like a 75-point guy. There's going to be at least one person in your whole league that expects him to be somewhere in between 75 and 115. I'll so. be very curious to see. I'll be shocked if, if you end up with Gaudreau in your couple division. I mean, it's it's unlikely the way I'm valuing him, but I want to know how many 100-point guys he's going to be drafted alongside. Like, is he going to be the last player of all, like, the, you know, there were like 22 who had 100-point seasons or 25. Uh, is he going to be the last one of the group? Is he, he, is he even going to be in the group? Or is he, is he I, I'm curious to see who he's drafted around because yeah. I think uh, – I don't think people are going to treat him at their draft tables as a 100 plus point player. I really don't. Okay, well, yeah, so that'll be something to watch. And that'll be something we'll learn about even earlier than when we learn about how good he actually is in Columbus. Uh, But of course, okay, one thing we know for sure is that he's a great player and he's going to help the people he's playing with, like, you know, to play with someone with more talent. So let's look at like some of the other guys. Like, If you look at Columbus, I'd imagine like, I'm just going to run through a list of players. Like to me, it's like for sure got to be good news for Wierenski. Like he's going to be having just another great offensive player on his team. Hopefully, unless you're saying maybe if he was taking shots on the power play, now those shots go to Goudreau. But I- I'm pretty excited. Like Wierenski had a 58 point pace last season. I feel like he's still kind of underrated. Like I feel like maybe even going into next year, he's still a little underrated. And he's someone I'd be very excited to draft now that he'll be on a power play with both Goudreau and Patrick Line. Uh, Line, I guess you were saying that there's a decent chance that he sticks with Voracek. 
but still on the power play, I feel like this can't be bad for him. I don't see him like getting bumped or whatever, like to the bottom six, right? So either he sticks in the, on the same line or he just gets to play with Goudreau. He still has to sign a contract, but I'm sure he will. Uh, then you look at someone like Boone Jenner. Like, I, I feel like he, like, you know, I, he already had like this amazing breakout season last year. So I don't expect him to like be like so much better, but maybe that now he has a better chance to hold it. Cause I actually think he's probably going to hold that spot on the top power play. Like you still need a net front guy and Johnny Goudreau is not that. And Jenner seemed to do really well there. I like this for Elvis Merzlikens, by the way, cause just Columbus already was looking like a team a bit on the rise. They did a lot better last than a lot of people were expecting. Now they all of a sudden bring in Goudreau and they have all, obviously all these like young players like a Cole Sillinger and a Boakvist and whoever else that's going to be continuing to mature. So I feel like Merzlikens is someone who could be a decent sleeper-ish type guy depending on how far he falls in drafts. Of course, someone's got to take a hit, right? Like there is going to be a winger that doesn't get in on the top power play, right? Because let's say, assuming Jenner holds that net front spot, that leaves only three wing spots left for like Gaudreau, Line, Voracek, Bjorkstrand. So I don't know. Apparently, like, also, by the way, Columbus is like right up against the cap and they still have to sign Patrick Line. So it's almost like guaranteed that they're going to have to move some people out. So maybe it's not even worth us like having a big debate about who sort of uh, loses out because like someone like a Nyquist could get traded. Like we don't know. Like I think that there's, it's very obvious. And from what I've been reading on Twitter, like they're going to be dumping someone. They just don't have a choice. So, uh, but just something to keep in mind that obviously there's only so many sweet spots with Johnny Gaudreau or in the top six to go around. So, so, uh, yeah, I don't know if you have any comments about any of these like risers and fallers that I'm suggesting. Uh, one thing I will say is that I don't know if like they, they signed Eric Branson to a four year contract, four million per year. And now they're in this cap crunch. I wonder if they realized when they made that signing that they were going to be getting uh, Goudreau. And I wonder if they would have considered uh, going for someone a little cheaper. Hearing from Yarmo Kekalainen and like how it came about, I don't think the Blue Jackets were expecting to be in on Goudreau. I, it sounds like they weren't even, from the interview I read, it seemed like he hadn't even really considered it until Goudreau's people got in touch with him and were like, hey, yeah, we think he might want to go to Columbus. And like, oh, okay, we better get to work on this. And uh, so, yeah, I'm not sure when exactly the Good Branson signing happened along that timeline. Uh, look, I, enough people have said enough about I. Good Branson's such a funny player, just because everywhere he goes, the fans hate like don't appreciate him, like they don't like him. But coaches and GMs love this guy. He gets minutes, he gets contracts. Uh, he was drafted in the top four, uh, along with Shannon Bogosian in the Steven Stamkos draft. Uh, like those three D were all like considered to be like huge, can't miss, amazing prospects. All of them have kind of missed uh and good branson probably the most but we're not we're not here to talk about eric good branson in columbus i will say the the fantasy impact to me of gaudreau arriving i don't think it it bumps everybody like anybody incredibly like yeah maybe it helps liney and voracek on the power play and jenner like maybe there's a couple more power play goals to go around but i don't think it makes any significant difference i think what it does is it like reinforces warensky and liney and voracek and jenner like it makes me less worried that something's going to go wrong somewhere on the team that's going to have a really big negative impact on them because Johnny Gaudreau is there or is still there, even if something does isn't isn't clicking or going right. So I like that there's one more player to sort of help keep things moving if things become stagnant or start going the wrong way. I like that about Gaudreau being there. Um, I think if one player stands to gain here, it's Cole Sillinger. Um, Brian Hedger spoke really positively about Sillinger in the 32 Beats uh, interview that that we aired earlier this summer, which is still available 
to anybody listening, by the way. So uh, so I, I think that's one player that really benefits here because uh, now it means Cole Sillinger is going to have someone pretty darn good to play with. I assume it's going to be Goudreau or Liney hmm. and not both. I mean- yeah, I mean, just to make it clear, like there, I feel, I see, I see like three centers, right? So I feel like it just depends who's the one in the bottom six. Like it could be Roslovic, it could be Sillinger, and it could be Jenner. Yeah, two of them, like one of them's gonna get, like I guess Line A, one's gonna get Gaudreau under your situation. So someone is gonna get the yeah. short end of the stick. But yeah, Sillinger definitely has a shot. I'm basically going off of Brian, like my assumptions made from listening to the Brian Hedger interview. He seemed to be higher on Sillinger than Roslovic, although Roslovic could be like the one more in line for a shot. So we'll see. It's going to help one centerman, uh, and then if it hurts anybody, I think it's Oliver Bjorkstrand, but we'll see. Maybe he is the piece that gets moved out. Like, Bjorkstrand probably helps him at five on five, because now uh, there's three wingers he could play with instead of two, which means, like, if two of them were on the other line, that would be good for Bjorkstrand. But, of course, it could hurt Bjorkstrand on the power play, where I'm going to assume he becomes the odd one out with Gaudreau's arrival. Yeah, and theoretically, Bjorkstrand could be in the bottom six, right? Like, if you have, let's say, Line and Voracek on one line and Gaudreau and Nyquist on the other. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've seen knows? Bjorkstrand get, like, terrible minutes and terrible deployment. I mean, I think you'd have to be crazy to play Gustav Nyquist ahead of Bjorkstrand on your depth chart. Like, to me, that's great. But thank you for reminding me that this is indeed possible. <laughs> All right, so let's move on from Columbus. Now let's go to Calgary. Let's look at the other side here. Hunter Mooney here in the chat said, my life is pain. I guess this is a Flames fan. Uh, he also wrote, it's not looking good on the Kachuk end either. So yeah, let's look at that because Matthew Kachuk and Elias Lindholm, who you were just uh, you know, showering praise on a few minutes ago, uh, had huge career years, right? They both scored 42 goals. Uh, Kachuk ended up with 104 points, Lindholm 82 points. Uh, this was, again, due to this amazing line in power play with Johnny Gaudreau. Now they don't have Gaudreau. So Calgary could still make some moves with the money they now have available. But for now, I think we've just got to assume that it's going to be someone like a Tyler Toffoli or maybe a Manjapani subbing in for Gaudreau. Brian, do, does this like indicate a likely downtick for Kachuk and Lindholm? Like as much as we like Tyler Toffoli and Andrew Manjapani on the podcast, these guys are not Johnny Gaudreau. And there's not really, like, I guess Nazem Kadri is the best available free agent. And I guess like theoretically he could come in as the center and then, you know, Lindholm moves to the wing. But now I'm like, really, like, you know, really searching for something that could be somewhat similar to Gaudreau. I think in general, it's just a question of Arkachuk and Lindholm, like just so amazing that they could continue to produce like this without that key part of their line and power play. Or should we just assume that both of them are not going to continue what they did last year? I'm going to expect a, a bit of a downtick from both of them. You know, if Toffoli, I know you don't like the handedness thing, Elon, but Toffoli shoots right and... Goudreau shoots left. And I think if the, if Toffoli could just slide in, I feel like he could be a similar player to Johnny Goudreau if he shot the same way, but he doesn't. So it's not as simple wow, as saying. Wow, you love Tyler Toffoli. You just compared him to a 115-point player. I, I didn't realize he, you were that high on him. I think he could be really, really great. I mean, we saw a glimpse of what he did in Vancouver, right? For that really brief moment where he was finally, like, unleashed. And then, uh, I don't know. I thought we were on the same page with Toffoli, actually. So I'm surprised. I like Toffoli. I just, uh, okay, when you I'm say, not, like, you think he could be as good okay, as Gaudreau, it's okay. just to me, it's like, I'm not, wow. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, I'm not saying Toffoli could necessarily be the 150. I'm saying he could slide in well enough that Kachuk mm-hmm. and Lindholm wouldn't miss too many beats. But I right, think. But you're saying it doesn't matter because he's right handed. It's not going to be as smooth because if he does end up on the top line, he's shooting on with, you know, on the other side, and that's going to change something about the way the line works. And then, Andrew Manjapani is he is a left-handed shot he could slide in but of course plays a different game than Goudreau into Foley 
and isn't as good as either of those guys offensively. So it's uh, it's going to be tough for Lindholm and Kachuk to keep doing what they're doing because I think all three of those guys fed off each other. And I think taking any one of them, I mean, we saw what Kachuk being added to the line did to elevate Lindholm and Gaudreau. And I worry about taking away Gaudreau, what that does to, uh, what's the opposite of elevate? De-escalate? Uh, I don't know. Plummet. <laughs> to plummet. It's not, I don't, I don't want to be overly dramatic about a plummeting Lindholm and Kachuk, but yeah, it's not going to be as good. I'd bump them a couple spots down your draft boards too. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Okay, so we'll wait to see. We're still waiting for the first positive from one of these moves from Brian. So far, it's everyone hurts, except for, I guess, some of these Columbus guys. You said to get a marginal, maybe, increase or at least some more stability. Uh, but yeah, and of course, Matthew Kachuk, also currently a free agent. So we'll see if he gets offer sheeted or just gets a one-year contract. I don't know. Anyhow, that's Calgary. Oh, we should mention, though, that, by the way, even if Andrew Manjapani isn't as good as Goudreau, if he gets on that top line, he's someone I'm interested in great. drafting. Yeah, he like someone's going to benefit, right? Tofoli, if he could go on the other side or whatever, they work in the outer magic party. I, like, are are you with me that those are the best two candidates to kind of take over the role that Gaudreau? Is there any dark horse that you're looking at? No one who's on the roster right now, right? Right, like, but I, they do have money. They have money. They have space. They had all the money they were going to give to Johnny Gaudreau. I mean, this roster, looking at the depth chart, looks like it's missing. And like, I feel for you, Flames fans. Like, this sucks. You had, a, like, this glorious window just appear open. Like, you've been waiting for it. It's been slowly building. But Calgary was a cup contender last year. And it feels like this like this one blow takes away so much of that. Uh, so I, I, I wish you all the best. This is a really tough one. This would like to have the window. It feels, feels to me like a window slammed shut, or at least on its way to slamming shut, unless they do something. I could see, you know, Calgary feeling like, oh, well, we'll just go ahead and add, give all this money to Nazem Kadri. You know, he could be the Bobby Ryan to 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 uh, Goudreau's Daniel Alfredson, to make an Ottawa hmm. Senators analogy. You know, like the Sens lost Alfredson unexpectedly, and then they went out and added Bobby Ryan, like, within very, very quickly to try to appease the fan base. And it didn't work out very well on the back end, but it was something. But we're into Nazem Kadri, right? Like maybe not to continue what he did last year, but I feel like he would definitely help, at least in the short term. Obviously, he gets like a seven-year deal. Maybe that hurts a little bit at the end. I guess another way that they can use the money is like John Klingberg is still available and he's someone... And I guess we don't want to get too much into speculating. We'll just talk about it when it happens. But, you know, we've been talking about for like a couple seasons now. Like last year, I guess we finally sort of wrapped our heads around like Rasmus Anderson is like fine running that top power play. And I guess like you say, Brian, it actually did pretty well. But I wonder if like they have this money anyways. Maybe they could, you know, make some room for Klingberg. So we'll, we'll see what Calgary does and then we'll talk about them on the next episode. Uh, so we were talking, of course, about Elias Lindholm and he used to be on the Carolina Hurricanes and I think they are another team that made a big splash this past week and not really with any big UFA signings and in fact, they started the process by losing one of their key free agents in Anthony D'Angelo who they traded to Philly for three mid-round picks. Uh, but instead they made their mark with two huge trades. So first, they acquired Brent Burns with 33% of his contract retained uh, from the Sharks. They also got Lane Peterson and they sent Stephen Lawrence, a goalie prospect, Makiniemi, and, and a third. So whatever. Basically, the main part of the deal is probably just that Brent Burns it comes off the books for San Jose, or at least 67% of him does. Uh, then the other big move Carolina made is they acquired Max Pacioretty and uh, Dylan Coughlin from Vegas for nothing! Absolutely nothing! Stupid! Oh, tweet at us if you get that reference, okay? I just had to. Uh, so, to recap, the Canes just got two of the biggest fantasy producers of, like, the past 
five, six years, like for basically just having the cap space to take them on. So clearly this is a team that you know, has been saved. It's like a, like a kid, you know, put some money in the piggy bank, wait for the right moment where you can finally like get what you're saving up for. And this is what the Canes have decided to do with, with this uh, savings. They've got Burns and Pacioretty, obviously two older players, uh, some risk there, but man, also some huge reward. And I'm really excited to talk through what these guys are going to look like uh, now that they're on Carolina, this really strong team. Like, they were already a really strong team. They just got Burns and Pacioretty for free, and I guess they just lose Anthony D'Angelo. Uh, let's start with Brent Burns. Okay, Brian, I'm going to need you to cool me off here because I'm a lot, I'm higher on... Like with, with Goudreau, I was sort of like playing it up because, you know, we're doing a podcast. He was the first guy I'm talking about. I'm not going to be like, this guy's not going to be as good right from the bat. I'll leave that to you. But with Burns, come on, this has got to be huge, right? Like, yeah, he's 37, but he just put up 54 points last season. Clearly still, like, he's not like breaking down. He like had huge minutes. He played most minutes of his career. And like, fine, that's like San Jose but had is maybe. that a good thing? Sure, fair enough. I'm just saying he's capable. Like his body is not like like he's capable of still playing big minutes and still producing 54 points on a meh Sharks team. Now he gets to QB a Kane's power play because there's nobody. You know, this is like uh, like there's no way like Slavin is taking top power play over Brent Burns. I can't imagine. So he's going to be QBing a Kane's power play with Aho, Taravainen, Svechnikov, and Pacioretty. What what a five for the top power play. Plus maybe he gets the green light to start shooting a little more like he used to i don't know if maybe san jose realized like because you know before like i think he would shoot and then like someone like pavelski would be able to like cash in on the rebounds do something and you know the last couple of years san jose like you know burns taking his shots from the point wasn't that that successful so he stopped shooting that, that's what i'm kind of assuming happened with him and so i'm like i'm ready for you to tell me i'm overreacting but in my opinion burns i'm gonna say it someone has to be it i think he's the player whose fantasy value has risen the most in the past week and uh, yeah, I'll wait for you as we go through this episode to tell me if there's someone else that you think went up more. But I am stoked for Brent Burns on Carolina. I guess I'll throw to you here before we talk about Pacioretty. But this is such a great landing spot for him, in my opinion. It's a great landing spot for Brent Burns. Like, I like it a lot for a few reasons. One, Brent Burns doesn't need to do as much in Carolina as he's been asked to do in San Jose these past few years. And I think that's going to suit him. So what I'm hoping happens for Brent Burns is like I'm thinking of a recent example in 35-year-old Mark Giordano with Calgary in that first Goudreau-Monaghan-Lindholm explosion. Giordano was 35 years old that season. He still had talent. He had some gas in the tank. And he had a top power play role all to ride the wave. Like I'm not saying he helped create the wave but he helped but he was good enough to be a part of it and ride it uh to a 78 point pace season so that's the hope here for brent burns is that he can do something similar even though he's a couple of years older now he's heading into his age 37 season than giordano was back when he had his 78 point season um so <laughs> now i'm trying to think of how i lead into the wet blanket being a bummer yeah I Can I also know. just throw it out there that you just said that the Norris winner of that season just like rode the wave? Like, yeah, like obviously he rode the wave. Okay, I mean, I guess according to the voters, they thought he was the top not, defenseman in the league. Rode, they all rode each other's waves. They all rode waves. the wave. They all rode sure. the wave. I'm not trying to That's take fun. anything away from Giordano personally and what he okay. contributed. It. I was like, all right, I, let's I, talk I, about Burns and how how he sucks. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> well, no, I, so actually, I you know one thing. That's really interesting here is that Brent Burns is better defensively than Tony D'Angelo, but was not as offensive a player as D'Angelo was last year. And I wonder actually how much those two things are connected, because uh, Brent Burns was called on for heavy duty in San Jose, as you mentioned, Elon. Do you know that Brent Burns 
uh, has now spent seven consecutive years playing over 25 minutes a night. And Brent Burns played 26 minutes a night last year, which is six more minutes an evening than or a matinee than Tony D'Angelo did. So I'm curious to see how much changes now that I don't think Burns is going to be called upon to be this huge defensive player, right? I think he's coming in because when Cal- when Carolina like was letting go of Tony D'Angelo, everyone's like, who is going to be the power play quarterback? Like there's not anyone who we could even really imagine being so effective in the role. And so is Brent Burns being like coming in to be a power play specialist, play on the second or third pair at five on five, focus more on the power play. And does that help him? You know, Tony D'Angelo, what? You're laughing. No, I, I don't know. I just feel like he's not going to... I just... I don't know. I'm, I'm just like waiting for... I love it. This is yeah. fun, okay? I, I don't think that Burns is coming in to just like play on the power play after he's like been like a, a stalwart of the San Jose defense he's like been for all rock. this time. He's been a rock defensively, but that's because he's had to. And I'm actually sure. trying to frame this in a positive way. I think there'll be fewer five-on-five minutes, but I'm wondering if there's less of a load defensively. Uh, look, Brent Burns the last two years, his shot generation has gone like completely the wrong way. Basically in the la- over the last 3 seasons, it's become half of what we've expect we wanted to expect from Brent Burns mm-hmm. over the peak of his career. So he's so busy playing defense, I'm wondering, hey, maybe he can play a little more offense. That's that's the angle I'm taking here. I'm still like there's a huge range. I what I'm trying to put into words, there's a huge range of possibility here. Like D'Angelo paced for 65 points last season, Brent Burns for 54. I don't know if Brent Burns can, I don't think, like, I think 65 points is what Brent Burns is gunning for here. I, yeah. I'm cautious, I'm cautiously optimistic about Burns the same, the same way. I'm actually feeling similarly about him now as I was about D'Angelo last year. It's like, hey, this isn't a slam dunk, but there's a lot of upside here and things could break right. Um, and it's not a slam dunk for Brent Burns, a 37-year-old, to break 55 points, which is something he hasn't done since his age 33 season. Again, he's had age 34, 35, 36, he's heading, heading into age 37, and like lots of signs of decline around. But it feels like there is going to be some good value here, like there was for, for D'Angelo in drafts last season, and potential for more. I, put it this way, in San Jose, I'd be worried that Brent Burns next season wouldn't be able to carry the team the way he's had to be able to get his production. But in Carolina, he doesn't have that burden to shoulder. So that's probably good. But I'm still not even going to change much about his my what I'd project his numbers to be for next year compared to what they were this year. I'm going to stick around the 55 to 60 point range for Brent Burns, but I acknowledge there's upside for like 70. Yeah, obviously, yeah, it's not a slam dunk. And obviously, I'm coming in very excited. I I don't know. I feel good about it. I think Carolina is so awesome. I think Burns, you know, like D'Angelo got the 65 point pace playing less than 20 minutes a game. Like you said, like basically just like mostly getting his uh, play on the power play. Uh, he still did get a decent number of even strength points just because Carolina scored a lot of goals. They're a good team. And I think Burns could be like a D'Angelo, but also with like some more minutes to give us some peripherals, you know, give us some more shots, give us some more hits, give us some more blocks. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, he's someone I would love to try to nab if he's falling in uh, my various leagues. Uh, then, of course, let's talk about Max Pacioretty, who, uh, if he could stay healthy, this is a guy who's paced for 75-plus points in each of his past three seasons. He's a volume shooter, just like Burns used to be. Of course, 
uh, if he stayed in Vegas, he'd be playing with Eichel and Stone probably. So I don't think I could like fairly say that his value has gone up by going to Carolina. This is more like just I'm excited for Carolina to have him. Uh, also, there's the big question mark, right? His health. Like last year he started, he was amazing. Then he got injured, missed a ton of time. And then when he came back, he kind of wasn't as good. But whenever that happens, you know, I always kind of feel like, are we really just gonna, you know, just assume he's not as good anymore? Probably he was just still recovering or wasn't 100%. So assuming he's 100%, which is obviously a huge assumption and I will hopefully learn some more hopefully in training camp even though I know that we just like joke around when people say it I'd love to hear that he's in the best shape of his life because that would be better than what I'm assuming is that he's in the worst shape of his life uh, like he seemed to be over this past season so hopefully he comes in they say that he's looking strong I'd imagine he's going to get good deployment so I don't see why he shouldn't be able to continue to be a 75-ish point player with a lot of shots and be like super valuable in fantasy uh, what do you think about Pacioretty? Oh no Elon I, oh, like, no. I know like these we're playing our roles to a T. Uh, it's a really great question. I think can can Pacioretty keep doing what he's been doing? My answer, my optimistic answer, Elon is I think Pacioretty could keep it up in Vegas, but in Carolina, I don't think it's automatic for Pacioretty to keep doing what he's been doing. And here's why: we've talked at length about how Pacioretty like basically reinvented himself in his second year in Vegas. Right? He increased his shooting and expected goals numbers. This is setting career highs in ways that we'd never seen him do. And this was as he was in his early 30s and approaching his mid-30s. And Patretti had spent several years down in the dumps where he'd fallen from his previous peak with Montreal. The first year in Vegas was awful. And then he found this this new gear, this new role to play. And a lot of that was based on the way he took shots. And so I looked at Patretti's numbers and I looked at every Kane's forwards numbers from the last couple of years and I tried to find a forward who compares to Pacioretty's offensive production, uh, like shot generation, expected goals. And the closest one, not better, just the closest, was Andrei Svechnikov. And Svechnikov still fell below Max Pacioretty in, say, shots per 60 at 5-on-5 five five in the best of Svechnikov's last three seasons and the worst of Pacioretty's last three seasons. So it's still no one in Carolina has done what Max Pacioretty has done. And I don't think that's because none of them have the talent Pacioretty has. I think it's because they play a style and system that asks them to share more of the wealth and to not to not be the, the sole shooter. It, it doesn't favor a player playing the way like Max Pacioretty was. And I'm going to say the same thing for Time on Ice. Like, no one in Carolina... Uh, on forward gets more than 13 minutes a night at five on five. Max Pacioretty has averaged over 14 minutes a night at five on five the last three years. So we're looking at a 60, maybe even 70 second uh, cut in ice time per night as a hurricane for Max Pacioretty. So no, I don't think Carolina is a place where the sky can continue to be the limit for Pacioretty and what'll be his age 34 season to get a sense of what to expect from Pacioretty. I think I'd look back to his best Montreal numbers uh, to, to sort of, ballpark him in Carolina, which is a funny connection, right? Like Pacioretty was in Montreal. Carolina has so much beef and now he's playing for Carolina. Anyway, uh, his best, like his best Montreal numbers were high sixties near 70 points. That's where I expect Pacioretty to land this year. I, I don't think this helps his fantasy value, but it does make Carolina a better team. Yeah. Okay. Well, Hey, I mean, if he like, you know, is similar to like 65, 70 points from back then, uh, uh, adjust for the NHL inflation of, you know, all of a sudden okay. he is a 75, 80 point guy because <laughs> sure. there's just so many more goals being scored. Uh, yeah. 
So it'll be fun to see. Like, I mean, they lose Vincent Trocek, right? I didn't mention him. Like, he's gone. He was playing big minutes. So someone's going to eat up that minutes. I'm not saying that necessarily has to be Pacioretty. Uh, if you think about it, actually, like, you know, I was talking about in Columbus, like, who's the odd person out with Gaudreau coming in? We don't really have to play that game here in Carolina because, yeah, they got Burns and Pacioretty, but they lost Trocek and D'Angelo, right? So I assume at least for the power play, those are the two players that are probably going to replace the two players who left. And uh, I don't know, I guess maybe someone like a Seth Jarvis, like loses a potential top power play spot he could have maybe had, or like Martin Nachas continues to not look like he'll necessarily get the best role. But overall, I feel like uh, it kind of works out pretty smoothly in, in Carolina. I'll be really excited to see like what lines they roll out. Like, do you think it's going to be like Aho? I don't know, Svechnikov and, and Pacioretty, or maybe they go Aho, Teravine, and Svechnikov, and then Pacioretty, uh, like, on the next line. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be fun to see. I can't wait. <laughs> I, I, my eyes into training camp already. Yeah, I feel like this could be good for... I, we know Martin Nechas is, like, on the outs in the doghouse, apparently. Carolina's not happy with the way he's progressing. He's yeah you know, hasn't been able to be the player that they've been asking him to be. But this could be good for Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who now, uh, if he does fill in as the second line center, he could find himself as as a center for with two top line wingers, even on the second line in Carolina, and getting as many minutes as the top line too. And when Carolina loved that, if Kotkaniemi could round into that player, I feel like he's their next project after feeling like Natchez hasn't made it. But I'm sure it'll be a battling camp to keep an eye on because whichever centerman gets that spot, I think they could have some uh, some nice upside. Yeah, so Cap Friendly has depth charts, which are obviously just guesses, not based on anything. But like their guess right now uh, is Aho with Pacioretty and Seth Jarvis, and then Kotkaniemi with Sveshnikov and Teravainen. So yeah, obviously good spots for both Jarvis and Kotkaniemi to potentially have some sneaky value, though the power play will be hard to get. All right, Brian, I think that we're, you know, we're on our way. We've covered, I don't know, two teams now at this point, three teams. So let's uh, take a break, and we'll be back in just a sec to look at the Sharks' side of losing Brent Burns. And I guess the Vegas side of losing Pacioretty. So we'll be back in just a sec to talk about all that. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. And we are back. Hello, Brian. So excited to see that you're still here for us to look at the flips. Man, but there's so many moves. Like, I'm sure there's like Detroit fans listening. Like, when are you going to get to David Perron? Or like, and it's like, okay, like, we're going to just take it slow because we still have, don't forget, like, we have all summer, right? Like, so whatever we don't get to today, we'll, uh, we'll get to it eventually. Okay, we're going to get to all the moves. I've got them all written down, I promise. But okay, I think it's fun to really like dive into these transactions. And I want to go quickly to the Sharks. Burns leaves. I'm going to go to the Sharks just quickly because I think it could be quick and easy, right? Like, my question is, is this doing anything good for our guy, Eric Carlson, here? Like, he was already seeing 60% of the power play time last season. So should we just assume his role is pretty much unaffected? Like, I remember when Carlson first went to San Jose, we spent, like, all summer just, like, debating, like, how is it going to work with, like, both Burns and Carlson? Is there any, like, who's the one who gets the short end of the stick? And in the end, I don't know, they both were fine. But Carlson just turned out not to be as good but in terms of, like, power play time. Anyways, and last year, Carlson had a bit of a bounce back. He saw a lot of power play time. So are you in just assuming that like nothing really changes for Eric Carlson? Or did you see this as like a significant change for him one way or the other? Maybe a little changes for Eric Carlson. You know, we've, t- we've talked about goalies who thrive on having to shoulder the huge workload like Hellebuck or Jari. I'm trying to think of some other names we've thrown in the past. Some goalies better when they're busy. And I wonder if that I'm, I, this is that's the, what I want to think about Eric Carlson. Of course, it's not just about what he can shoulder; it's about what he can leg and knee into ankle his way to doing. But I, I think there is some chance that Carlson sees an uptick 
in his power play time on ice percentage. I mean, with with Ottawa, he was seeing 75 to 85%. One year, over 90% of all available power play minutes. Then saw 67% of power play minutes for his first two years in San Jose. And then Carlson just saw 60% of the power play minutes in the last two years. And I'm just wondering if this is an opportunity to uh, to bump that number up a bit. And for him to be really the only guy that is breaking out and, you know, doing hard work. And the question is, can he, can he handle it? Can he be that player again? And I don't think he could ever be quite as good as he once was, but he was playing 23 and a half minutes a night last season. Brent Burns is gone. That's 26 minutes a night up for grabs. I assume he'll get a couple of those and I assume that'll help him. So I think as long as Carlson's body can hold up, I think this, this will be uh, moderately helpful for Carlson who's paced for 55, 60 points in two of his last three seasons. In fact, he really, like, if you adjust your expectations and say Carlson is a 60-point player, it took us a while to wrap our heads around that, but you would have only been disappointed once in the last ever that Carlson didn't hit that mark. So I, Well, except for the injuries. Those were disappointing. Right, of course. Like, he misses 30 games a year for the last four that seasons. That kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, so if he can stay healthy, I would count on him for 60 next year and maybe a slight uptick in power play points maybe we'll take a couple more shots too uh i'm i'm hoping that carlson can play more than 55 games this year because he hasn't really since uh since becoming san jose shark yeah and if the sharks want to have any chance to do anything i think they're going to need him to play more games uh go hollywood here in the chat is asking with burns gone i'm interested who is the fifth player on the top power play so hurdle meyer couture carlson and I mean, the fun answer is Eklund. Like, if Eklund makes a team out of camp, uh, he was on the top power play, if I recall correctly, at the start of last year for his, like, nine-game stint. So I think that's the fun answer. Or it could be, like, a boring guy, like a Barabanov, I don't know, LeBanc. LeBanc, yeah. 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 But, like, I'm hoping... One day it'll be Eklund. Like, it's, like right. he's going to be a star, I think. It's just, like, I don't know if it's next year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to like say this is also that they can barely fill a top power play makes me think that they're going to use that top power play more than 60% of the time. But I guess they didn't really have much of a second power play unit either last year in San Jose. So I I don't know if my optimism is is ill-founded for trying Mm -hmm. to figure out. Also, San Jose, am I right that they don't have a coach yet? They have Bob Boudner. He's is he no longer the coach? He's no longer the coach. Like they they very suddenly like clean. Oh right, house. like late, and yeah. everyone was upset. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it's I'm like why did now. you like what changed in the all the nothing that's happened? Well, to they the got a new GM. Something. They they got Mike Greer right. to be the GM, and I guess he decided to make a change. But that was part of the house cleaning too. I think that led to the GM being anyway. So yeah, so we'll see who Mike Greer, who's a former NHLer, Mike Greer. Uh, I think we talked about him on the podcast, like in year one or two of the pod, he was like having a bit of like some fantasy relevance right at the end there. Uh, I, I definitely have memories of talking about Mike. You look up Mike Greer's career stats. I'll mention, uh, I don't know, just uh, like, cause we have I, so much time. I'll mention some other, pl- I'm wrong. Unfortunately. Yeah. He finished his career with Buffalo in uh, the two years before we started the show. Really? Or one year before we started the show with 16 points in 73 games. I guess I'm having a Berenstein Bears situation in my reality. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it it's the Mandela effect. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> uh, okay, so I uh, probably we're not going to talk about how the Sharks got Luke Kunin, Oscar Lindblom, Nico Sturm. Yeah, so you're right, Brian. I don't know if they have too many exciting players that can, uh, you know, get a lot of power play time. I guess, like, if we really wanted to just go into deep Sharks talk, we could talk about this could be an opportunity for Ryan Merkley, who's like this defenseman who they drafted in the first round a couple years back. And like, he's been kind of a disappointment. Like this would be his opportunity to kind of take over on like power play two, maybe start doing something. But you know, I, in our talk with uh, Shang Peng earlier, he didn't seem too high on Merkley. So I won't be either. And let's move on now to uh, Vegas, who, by the way, our good friend Ben Burnett is going to be doing a deep dive into with another beat writer interview uh, later this week with Jesse Granger that's currently on the books. So I'm excited to hear uh, what their conversation gets and we'll see if it's any different from our conversation we're going to have right now because now that they had to give Patchy Ready away to clear cap space, I'm starting to wonder, Brian, about this Jack Eichel trade. There was an interesting tweet that was shared in our Discord from Sinbin Vegas kind of summarizing that. So at this point, it's, Eichel was traded for Tuck, Krebs, Dodonov, because they had to give him away also because they couldn't fit him in, a first, Dylan Coughlin, and now Pacioretty. It's starting to look like a lot of pieces had to go in order for them to acquire Jack Eichel. Do you think, Brian, by the way, Ben, if you're listening, please ask this exact same question to Jesse. Do you think Vegas would reconsider if they had the option to make a do-over and maybe not acquire Eichel? Like, Was it worth it to send all these guys and lose Pacioretty for nothing just to get Jack Eichel? I really wonder if they had done the math to realize that they were going to lose, like that they could not fit everyone in under the cap. Like they had to not know, right? This has to be a mistake because would they have made, I I don't know, Elon. To me, it seems very strange. Like Vegas has had, has been a team that has struggled to manage the cap. Like they're constantly missing a roster player or keeping a player on long-term IR, like doing all kinds of things to just get by and squeeze by the cap. And that's because they've been so aggressive, right? Which has been fun to see. The Golden Knights look like geniuses out of the expansion gate. They got some good fortune with how some guys performed in year one. Remember those career career high performances from William Carlson, Eric Howell, James Neal. But then uh, when we were like, yeah, well, it's not going to last a year too. Vegas was like, wait a minute. And they just went out and kept getting all the good players to shore up any regression that would have been expected from the guys who had overperformed early on. But like, it was fun and awesome. But now Vegas is paying the price. I'm really curious. I Ben, please ask Jesse the question. I'd like to hear Jesse's answer on this because he'd know if someone in the org had the foresight at the moment to realize that they couldn't make this all work or if they had another plan that fell through. And then looking at what's left in Vegas where all their money's committed, you know, you have Mark Stone with back problems. Jack Eichel looks okay, but he's coming off the neck stuff. Max Pacioretty himself, he had wrist stuff. Leonard had neck and shoulder problems. I don't know. I'm pretty worried about this roster. And it's suddenly a pretty bare bones roster beyond the top line without Pacioretty. So, uh, yeah, I I can't imagine that Vegas planned this any more than they planned to get to the cup final in the first year, which is to say, I think a lot has broken badly. I think they might have been able to plan with a little more foresight, but I'm going to leave that to the expert, uh, Jesse Granger, in the 32 Beats interview, which I'll be eagerly listening to. 
Yeah, uh, Julian is pointing out in the chat here, they did just uh, extend Riley Smith $5 million a year, so maybe they could have like kept Pacioretty and let Riley Smith walk. I guess, The thing is, like like you said, Brian, like maybe they're just excited to have the opportunity to get away from Pacioretty because of all the health issues he's had, right? So maybe they just did... Last year, everything kind of blew up because everyone got injured, so maybe they just decided they don't want to have this much risk. I don't know. So yeah, it'll be an interesting conversation. But yeah, it does seem like this top six now pretty set, right? Like, assuming, let's say, they stick with their classic uh, Marsha So Carlson-Smith, and then you'll have, like, Eichel with Stone and probably, like, a Chandler Stevenson. Are either of an Eichel or a Mark Stone less appealing to you with Patch already gone, or are these guys just, like, good enough that, assuming they're healthy... You know, they'll make things happen with whoever they're playing with. It's not as if like losing Pacioretty is like a huge deal for them because they're superstars in their own right. They're superstars in their own right. And I think assuming they're healthy is a really big part of that. And I might knock them down just a couple spots on draft day because I because of concerns for their health versus thinking that they are fully healthy because I'm not sure either one has proven that they are. Uh, it could be rough. I'm going to put it out there. I, I don't think it's likely, but... It could be rough for Chandler Stevenson, right? He finished the year playing with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. And now with just Stone there, like does Eichel center Mark Stone and Stevenson is not the winger there? Because I think it's been a long time since Chandler Stevenson has played winger. So he's someone I'd be concerned about. Yeah, well, I mean, the good thing for him is that there's not too much competition right now for top six wingers over in Vegas. I don't think Nolan Patrick is is working out. I don't know if... Uh, who else? Like, literally, who else? <laughs> I'm wondering to play in that top six right now. Like, throw a name, Nicholas Roy? Yeah, I, I don't know. And I think this is also uh, tough news for Robin Lehner, assuming he's healthy. Uh, this is not going to be a, a very... They were a very hard team to play behind last year. I don't think it's going to be any better this year with less run support available. It's not like Pacioretty is being replaced with anyone, although he was pretty ineffective for long stretches of last year because of his injury troubles. And uh, yeah, I, I would, I'd be worried about Robin Lehner. I think we had a conversation, uh, someone was trying to, in our Discord server, where uh, I think it was Mason was trying to decide between keeping Robin Lehner and Connor Hellebuck. And like you said, well, Brian really loves Lehner, so he might disagree, but, it, but you said Hellebuck. And I'm like, yeah, actually, I do agree in this case, because I'm not sure Vegas and wins are important. I'm not sure Vegas is so much better than Winnipeg. And also Lehner's health is a huge question mark that I wouldn't want Hellebuck over Lehner. No, you mean you wouldn't want Lehner over Hellebuck? No, I want Hellebuck. People get what you mean. Okay. Yeah, I think to be fair, I think Mason was like deciding between like a keepers, you know, and like those were two goalies on the list. And I said, like, definitely keep Hellebuck and I wouldn't keep Leonard. I don't think he was like asking Hellebuck versus Leonard. I, I, I'd assume Mason also would agree that that's like an obvious choice. To me at this point, like as much as Hellebuck has struggled a little bit. Yeah, Robin Leonard, I'm like, I was already concerned even if they had Pacioretty, right? Like he just not a starting goalie in the league that you can rely on to play like a full season, in my opinion, which is what something we've discussed a lot. Yeah, the question was also framed largely around wins, which historically we'd say, yeah, Vegas is going to win more than Winnipeg. But uh, yeah, as as we've detailed over the last couple of minutes, not so confident. Not looking good. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Jesse Granger will, will disagree and be like, Vegas is going to win the cup next year. Weren't we like a little bit concerned about what Washington was doing? They lost Burakovsky for nothing like the year before they won the cup. And we were like, what is this team doing? And then it turned out to be just fine. So and, who, and who we knows? Were, and we were... <laughs> not believers in vegas the first time around and they didn't have eichel and stone on their roster then so who knows 
All right. So we were way back talking about Carolina and how they got Burns and Pacioretty. And I did mention that they let Tony D'Angelo go. He goes to Philly where he signed a two-year deal, $5 million per year. Like we discussed already, D'Angelo's coming off a season that matched his 2019-20 breakout with the Rangers. He put up 51 points in 64 games. So that's a 65-point pace with the Hurricanes. In my chat with Charlie O'Connor like a month ago, he's a beat writer for Philly. He said that like when I was talking about Ryan Ellis and being like, is he going to be ready? He said, watch what Philly does in the offseason. If they go after like another big name defenseman, that's probably a sign that they're not so confident in Ryan Ellis' health. So here we go. They've got Tony D'Angelo, which makes me pretty concerned that Ryan Ellis is not going to be ready, right? So they had to make other arrangements. Uh, And if that's the case, I'm going to assume, so Brian, obviously I'm ready for you to correct me, that D'Angelo's probably the front runner to run the top power play on Philly. Like Ivan Provorov just doesn't seem to have worked out there. Cam York is only 21. Like obviously Cam York is a threat. Like at some point they're hoping that he takes over on the top power play, but maybe they have D'Angelo for these two years and then like Cam York... uh, uh, comes in after that uh, though of course we're talking about the top power play on philly not the top power play on carolina so it's definitely feels like still a downgrade regardless for d'angelo this is not only the uh, the flyers this is a flyers team without claude Giroux, right this used to be a pretty strong power play when they had Giroux and couturier i guess couturier will be back we'll see if he's 100 percent uh i'm gonna assume that you're gonna predict a downtick for d'angelo and i'm gonna go ahead and agree with you in advance you haven't been like over the moon about anyone we've talked about yet so i can't imagine you're gonna be over the moon about d'angelo landing in philly a oh, few I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page and that you're not building up i think one x factor here with tony d'angelo moving and it's interesting because I, I listened to the Charlie O'Connor interview also, and they did go out and get that defenseman. They made that splash. But to me, Tony Tangelo is not a replacement for Ryan Ellis. So I still like I, I guess it depends on how management uh, like the organization in Philadelphia sees Tony D'Angelo. But to me, it, well, but also to be fair, like who like I agree with you and I'm sure they agree with you, but also it's like Who who's else? available. Yeah. 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 So uh, it's, a, it's a strange move in that I don't think it address, uh, it addresses a need because there's no one in Philadelphia to run the power play. And I, you know, rumor had it, they were looking to move Provorov too, and they've lost all faith in him. Uh, I've lost faith in all of Philadelphia. And I, I worry also that it's not going to be the best place for Tony D'Angelo. You know, I feel like New York, was pretty hard for D'Angelo to handle. We saw what happened with him. He ended up being benched and not in the league. And I can't imagine Philadelphia is going to be any easier than Philadelphia. So we'll find out now if D'Angelo has figured out how to like be a professional hockey player in a big city or if he was sort of uh, sheltered and coached and protected from that in Carolina by management or the locker room or whatever. Whatever worked last year in Carolina, we'll see if those lessons transfer with D'Angelo to Philadelphia or stay in Carolina um, because it's it's going to be rough this year in Philly. Like, they're a bad team. They have maybe two bona fide top power play unit forwards. And that power play unit in Philly last year converted to just 13%. Unbelievably bad. And of course, some misfortune involved there. But I feel like Tony D'Angelo isn't going to come in and fix that see how much he can do but there's going to be a lot going wrong in philly and uh, d'angelo is the big offseason acquisition i don't know i just see the potential for like fireworks here and things i just don't like the way things are aligning here so i'm going to stay pretty far away from d'angelo and drafts this season of course those who take the risk could find themselves rewarded 
But even if you're hoping for, oh, yeah, maybe D'Angelo can get 60 points in Philadelphia. That's a downgrade from Carolina. Well, consider that the leading score in Philadelphia last season had 52 points. Uh, Claude Giroux had a 60-point pace over 57 games. But still, that's what if that's what you're hoping for from Tony D'Angelo, uh, decrease your expectations. You're looking at, I would hope for 50 points, and I'm not even uh, going to set my watch to that. I'd be worried, very worried about Tony D'Angelo this season. Hmm. I mean, now you're like going so low that I have to even like maybe at least uh, argue the other side a little bit just to say, like, I'm not too worried about like whatever the big city stuff. Like, I, I get what you're saying, but uh, I don't know. It seems like that stuff's behind him. So I'm going to I'm going to assume that that'll be fine. So we'll wait and see on that. Uh, and he's if he's running the top power play, I'm not like I think that he's got that, that gives him a pretty safe floor. Like, I think if you draft him as a 50 point guy, I don't think you're going to be too disappointed. I just don't think he's going to like reach the heights that he did last year on like a much stronger team. But I think he's a, a solid bet to be a 50 point guy. Like if he's falling around that, like f- even 55, like I think that's a pretty good guy to draft and not someone that I'd be too, too concerned about. Unless like the big concern to me would be like Cam York, just like destroying and training camp and like all of a sudden taking over on the top power play, which you'd think like, why would they sign D'Angelo just for that to happen? But you know, like, Philly like had Shane Gosses bear come out of nowhere and take over the top power play one season. So, you know, anything could happen. Okay. So with that, Brian, let's try something different here. We've been chatting for an hour. I feel like maybe the listeners need a break. You and I can maybe grab a drink of water. I don't know. So I I learned this from another podcast here on the uh, Blue Wire Network, the PDO cast recently. They like split up a long episode into part one and part two. So let's do the same. Yeah. We're, we all, we've all stretch our arms and you and I are going to take a break and then we're going to come back for part two. We're going to go for another hour trying to cover as much as we can. I know Shams is here in the chat waiting for the wings. I've got like five or six teams, I think, still to go through before we get to the wings. We might hit them. We might not. That's the big like mystery for part two. So uh, yeah, check your podcast feed. I'm going to try to drop that episode uh, right after this one. So uh, yeah, just uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, I, oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess this is the end of an episode. Though we're trying something new here. I, I, it's the first time I've done it, so we're gonna end the episode, which means I'm gonna thank everyone for listening. Like I said, uh, if you could give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, uh, we're gonna do something for that again, Brian. We're gonna have some prize. I think we have like some Dauber guides to give away. You and I need to talk off air and come up with something to try to uh, get people to give us some five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. But, oh, now that I said that, no one's gonna give it to us now because they're gonna wait for us to offer a prize. But yeah, just show how cool you are now. If you <laughs> give us a five star review now, then you. Pre- that you're a super fan and you don't just do it for the prizes. We will retroactively include anybody, it's July 18th that we're recording this, anybody who leaves a written five-star review, like you have to write a little note with it and you will be automatically entered. So long as you're listening to hear yourself win, uh, we'll count you. So don't don't delay. Or actually, you know what? It could be better for us, Elon, strategically if we wait like a few weeks to really get Maybe. the momentum going. So hold on. If you're not sure, you know what? I'll, we'll leave it to you, dear listener. But we're <laughs> gonna you we're do. gonna push harder in a few weeks. You can decide when uh, when you want to be pushed. Yeah. Also, thanks so much to the patrons of keeping Carlson the lifeblood of the podcast. Okay, and not only because of the financial support, which we very much appreciate, but also just the great community on Discord. All the chats during the whole frenzy of last week were just so fun. And like Brian said, you could just like jump in at any time and like just join in on the latest discussion. It was a blast. We have a we have a really cool crew. Uh, if you're not a patron, you still have the opportunity to take uh, advantage of our summer promotion coming for just a buck. Uh, check out the community. We're having a lot of fun. We're voting on players every day. Uh, we're going to just start uh, announcing the couple rules for next 
season once we uh, finalize those. So check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, let's wrap up part one of this mega show. So let's cue the outro music. Do you have any credits you want to read? Do we still do credits for a part one? Yeah, I think. Do oh, it. Oh, no, we don't. This no is the credits. first time we're doing it. We'll save the credits for the end. All right, the outro music is playing. Uh, let's at least, though, of course, leave people with a plea in case they have some time before they listen to part two. Brian, while people wait to hear our takes on all the moves the senators made, that's where we're going to start part two, what should they do? Uh, please continue doing all that you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.